All right, y'all, let's take out our Bibles. And if you will, go with me today to the book of Jude. The book of Jude. We're starting a four-week series in the book of Jude. We go from the second book in your Bibles to the second to last book in your Bibles today. Uh, Jude's only one chapter long. So it's a little bit easy to miss in your Bibles. If you can find the book of Revelation, it's just right before the book of Revelation. Revelation's the very last. So the book of Jude today. And Lord willing, we'll spend the next four weeks here in the book of Jude. Now for those of you who grew up with brothers or sisters, I want you to think back on that right now. Take yourselves back to what it was like to grow up with your brothers or sisters, or perhaps you had both. Were your siblings your best friends? Were they your arch enemies? Were, they, were there different times in your life where maybe there were each one of those? Maybe you moved from different seasons of life uh, to where you, you fought more with them at, at times and then uh, enjoyed them more at others. I think all of us can probably look back into our upbringings and have really good memories, at least some really good memories with our siblings. And then you can probably also look back and, and remember some epic fights and arguments and times where you, you drove your parents absolutely insane. Uh, siblings, it's, it's an interesting relationship that many of us have experienced. Not all, but many of us have. They're, they're sensitive things, are they not? The, the relationships that we have with our siblings. Some of us grow up and uh, eventually end up being very, very close friends with our siblings and have good, loving, strong, healthy relationships. And others might still experience a distance or uh, an estrangement or a strained relationship with those that you grew up with. It's different for everyone, but we can all go back in our memories and remember what it was like to grow up with our siblings. Well, today, we're going to look at what it must have been like to have Jesus as your older brother. To have Jesus as your older brother. Let's read our text today, which is just the first two verses of Jude. Again, Jude is only one chapter, so we refer to it just like Jude 1 through 2. That's not Jude chapters 1 through 2. Those are just the verses, Jude verses 1 through 2. And so he begins his letter, and this is the word of God. Jude writes, Jude, a servant of Jesus Christ and brother of James, to those who are called Beloved in God the Father and kept for Jesus Christ. May mercy, peace, and love be multiplied to you. Now this is your typical New Testament letter greeting. We see this often in, for instance, the letters of Paul. These New Testament authors will introduce themselves, say their name, say kind of a little bit about who they are, and then who they're writing to. It's a very typical New Testament greeting for a New Testament letter. But it's astounding for one very particular reason. Now, first I want to ask, who was Jude? Who was this person who wrote this little letter in the New Testament? Well, his full name was Judas. His full first name was Judas. And it's almost certain that he shortened it to Jude to avoid the association it would have made with the man who eventually betrayed Jesus to his death. And so he shortened his name to Jude. We learn about this man, Jude or Judas, in Mark chapter 6, verse 3. There, people are reacting to the amazing teaching of Jesus, 
Jesus, this man, has come out of nowhere and he's teaching like no one we've ever heard before. And then in Mark chapter 6, verse 3, the people say, Is this not the carpenter, the son of Mary, and brother of James, and Joseph, and Judas, and Simon? And are not his sisters here with us? And they took offense at him. And so you can understand these people who have kind of watched Jesus grow up and and they've lived in the same community. And all of a sudden he starts teaching like this and they, they start saying, wait a second, he's a carpenter. He's the son of a carpenter. He's never been trained. How is he teaching like this? This is astounding. But it also, that verse also shows us he had four brothers, James, Joseph, Judas, that's our Jude, and Simon. And he also had sisters. Jesus had sisters. We don't know what their names were. We don't know how many, but Jesus had sisters as well. And so we get a kind of a little insight into his family structure and his family life. And there you saw the name James. Here in verse 1, Jude says he is a brother of James. That's his brother right there. And so Judas in Mark 6.3 is our Jude right here who wrote this letter. And so his brothers, what would it have been like to have been Jesus's brother? Well, one thing that's interesting that we find as we read through our New Testaments is that it might not have been like you would expect because Jesus' own brothers did not believe in him. Jesus' own brothers were unbelievers. We learn this from John chapter 7, starting in verse 1. John chapter 7 reads like this. After this, Jesus went about in Galilee. Now that after this means after he fed the 5,000. He has just done the miracle of feeding the 5,000. Rumor is spreading like wildfire of this man, Jesus, who teaches like we've never heard and who can perform miracles. After this, he went out about in Galilee. He would not go about in Judea because the Jews were seeking to kill him. Now the Jews' feast of booths was at hand. So his brothers said to him, leave here and go to Judea, that your disciples also may see the works you are doing. For no one works in secret if he seeks to be known openly. If you do these things, show yourself to the world. And then it says, for not even his brothers believed in him. It's almost like they were being sarcastic when they said all of that to him. Why don't, why don't you go up to the festival? Why don't you show yourself to everyone? You're supposed to be this amazing teacher and Messiah that you've said you are. Why don't you go show yourself to everyone? Did they know that the Jews were seeking to kill Jesus? I'd say probably not. Probably not. It's probably something Jesus knows with his ability to know things that no one else could know. But perhaps they did. Perhaps even then they're suggesting that he goes up to Judea where they are seeking to kill him. But the fact remains, they don't believe. His own brothers. How could Jesus' own brothers not be believers? How could they? This is crazy. This is unfathomable. How could you grow up in the same home as the Messiah? as the Son of God, and not believe in him. These brothers, they ate their meals with him. They spent hours and hours around Jesus. They knew him at a level that no one else did. And surely they would have learned from Mary and Joseph, their parents, surely they they would have learned the story of how the angels came and told them about Jesus' miraculous birth, and then Jesus was born miraculously. Surely they would have heard who this boy was from their parents. How in the world could you witness and be around all that they were around and not believe 
in Jesus, not believe he is the Son of God. But that's not the way it works, is it? That's not the way it works. We know that. We know that from Scripture. How many times do we see in the Bible someone who who sees the miracles that Jesus does and hears his astonishing teaching firsthand, and yet they don't believe? We see that over and over again in the Gospels. They're right there. Not just talking about his brothers, talking about other people. They see the miracles, they hear the teaching, and yet they don't believe. Because it's not as if everyone who was ever encountering Jesus automatically became a believer. And so in, in one sense, this is astounding. This is crazy. His own brothers did not believe in him. But in another sense, it's not that crazy at all. In fact, when you stop to think about it, I think we all can totally understand how this could happen, how his own brothers would not be believers. Now, Mary and Joseph, they were on it from the start. They were on it from the very beginning. I mean, an angel had appeared to them. An angel told them, this baby to be born to you is going to be the Son of God. You are to name him Jesus because he's going to save his people from their sins. Mary and Joseph were on it from the very beginning. But it was different for them, wasn't it? Much different for his brothers and sisters. Think about what it must have been like for Jude and his other siblings. Growing up with Jesus as your older brother. First of all, he never sinned. Ever. He never got in trouble. He never did anything wrong. Imagine what that would feel like. I mean, really. Imagine what that would feel like. Did any of y'all have a sibling that was just perfect all the time? Makes you sick, doesn't it? You don't love it. You didn't love them for it. It makes you sick. It annoys the fire out of you. They seem to never get in trouble. They're good at everything. And no matter how much mom and dad say they love us all the same... All we hear is, why can't you be like your older brother? Right? They, surely that's what they think. They're just saying they love us all the same. Of course we didn't like that. You didn't, you didn't like that at all. Hate that. Right? Think about what this must have been like to another level for Jesus' siblings. I mean, he literally never did anything wrong. Literally. He did not get in trouble ever. I mean, he was always loving, and no matter what you did to him, he would just forgive you for it? Are you serious? Like, I can't imagine what that would have been like. I mean, we we laugh, but think about this seriously for a second. Think about living a lifetime with your older sibling like that and the, the resentment that it would create inside of your heart. Think about what that must have been like. If you remember, we see this played out in the Old Testament, in the book of Genesis. Remember Jacob and his 12 sons. Well, he had a favorite, and his favorite was Joseph by a long shot. Joseph was the very first son that Jacob's favorite wife gave to him biologically. There's all kinds of problems going on in this family, by the way. But Joseph was his favorite. And so think about what that must have been like for the older brothers. All of a sudden, this this young brat gets a coat of many colors, and we don't. We've never gotten anything like that, Dad, and you just give it to him. Yeah, it's for him, not for you all. All of a sudden, Joseph starts telling us about his dreams, where we're supposed to be bowing down to him, and our mom and dad are supposed to be bowing down to him. Who does this kid think he is, right? Well, think about what that must have been like then for Jesus's brothers and Jesus's sisters. Think about what it must have been like for Jude and his siblings when Jesus came into his own. 
when, it, when he started to refer to God as his father. Can you imagine? Your brother starts calling God your father. We've got a dad. We've got a father. I mean, we know from, from even age 12. Remember that story where Jesus got lost in Jerusalem? We know from even age 12 he was calling God his father. I mean, can you imagine how that would make his siblings feel? I mean, this guy's got a real Messiah complex, doesn't he? Only problem is, he is the Messiah, right? What must it have been like for Jude and his siblings when slowly but surely, Jude and the rest of them came to be known as Jesus' little brothers? That's, that's how the community referred to them. When Jude goes out, everybody says, oh, you're Jesus' little brother. There goes Jesus' little brother. He's not known for his own accomplishments. He's not known for being his own person. He's just Jesus' little brother. And then, what must it have been like when Jesus actually started his ministry? And the Jewish leaders begin to hate Jesus and begin to seek to kill Jesus. And now, Jesus has brought shame on the entire family. I mean, it's enough, Jesus. It's enough that the Romans already hate us. We, we, we get that. We expected the Romans to hate our family because it's like a racial thing. But now the Jews hate us too. Now, now all the Jews, at least the important ones, they all hate us. At least all the ones that have influence, they all hate our family. You can see Jude and his brothers saying, we are the laughing stock of the community because of you. We don't have any friends anymore because of you. In Mark 3, starting in verse 20, it says, Then Jesus went home, and the crowd gathered again so that they could not even eat. And when his family heard it, they went out to seize him, for they were saying he is out of his mind. His family thinks he's out of his mind. And when Jesus comes around, we can't even eat dinner because he brings so, such big a crowd around. Good attention and bad if you know what I mean. Attention from those seeking the Lord and attention from those seeking to snuff out the teaching of this new Messiah. And so I can see, on the one hand, how many people think it's crazy that his own brothers didn't believe in him. But are you starting to see why it actually is not that crazy at all? It actually makes a lot of sense. It actually would have been really hard to be Jesus' younger brother or sister and believe that this, this, this guy you've grown up with your whole life is the son of God? Is, is more than just our brother? That would be really hard. And so I hope you're starting to see why verse 1 in our text is so astounding. Why verse 1 is so astounding. Because how does Jude introduce himself here? Jude, a servant of Jesus Christ and brother of James. Servant of Jesus Christ and brother of James. That word servant there, the Greek word there is doulos, which when literally translated means slave. A slave of Jesus Christ. Many of our modern translations have, have softened that out a little bit because of our modern connotations of slavery, which, you know, our modern connotations of slavery are, are race-based and things like that. But that's what it means. I'm a servant, I'm a slave of Jesus Christ, and I'm a brother of James. Isn't that amazing? It's astounding that he would refer to himself like this. When he refers to James, he says, James is my brother. 
when he refers to Jesus, he says, I'm his servant. In James chapter 1, this same James wrote the book of James. In James chapter 1, James introduces himself like this, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. And it's that same word, slave, doulos, a slave of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. James, his own brother, calls him his Lord. And so what happened? What happened to make these two brothers change so radically as to call Jesus their Lord? To go from despising their older brother and being ashamed of him and thinking he was out of his mind to then stop referring to themselves as his brothers and start saying they were his servants or his slaves. What happened? Well, it was the same thing that turned Peter from one who denied knowing Jesus three times into the boldest and most effective preacher the church has ever seen. It was the same thing that turned doubting Thomas into someone who confessed Jesus as my Lord and my God. It was the resurrection. It was the resurrection. At some point after Jesus rose from the grave, he would have appeared to Mary, his mother, and to his siblings. At some point, he would have appeared to them for the first time since they knew he was dead, since Mary saw him breathe his last. And imagine with me what that must have been like for Jude, to see your dead brother, that you know is dead, alive again. Imagine what it must have been like to have just been mourning for the the death of your brother, even though you didn't like him all that much, and you didn't really believe in him, he was still your brother, and you might even be upset with him. Jude might have even been upset with Jesus, because if Jesus hadn't been so crazy, they wouldn't have crucified him and brought all this horrible grief upon our poor dear mother. Think about all the conflicting emotions that must have been going on inside of his heart and mind. And then you see him. And your mind doesn't know what to do with that. He's dead. But he's here. It's him. He's really here. And he he goes up and he hugs your mother. What are you thinking? And then he comes up and hugs you. And it's one of those like, "I, I, I don't even know what to do. And there's no I told you so's. No rubbing it in. No bitterness whatsoever. Just joy and love. Innocent and pure joy and love. I believe it was at that moment that the hearts of Jude and James and the rest of the siblings melted. And they believed. They came to realize that everything Mary and Joseph had said was true. They came to realize that everything that Jesus said about himself was true, completely true. And you can imagine as Jude embraces Jesus and tears are streaming down his face and he's saying, I was wrong. I was so wrong and I'm so sorry. Please forgive me. I was so wrong. And just like Joseph at the end of Genesis, when he reunites with his brothers, Jesus just forgives him. Forgiveness, full and free. No, 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 no paying penance or anything like that. Just forgiveness. 
and joy and love. No hard feelings. And from then on, I think it was from that moment on, Jesus wasn't Jude's older brother anymore. He was his Lord and Savior. Can you imagine the transition to go from this is my brother to now, no, this is, this is somebody altogether different. This is the Lord of all the earth. This is the Savior of the entire world. This is the one that I pledge allegiance to. This is my master, and I am his slave. I am his servant, here to do his will and whatever he wants. We actually know that this changed them, not just from the way that Jude and James introduced their books, but from a couple other places in the New Testament. For example, Acts chapter 1, verse 14. All the disciples were in the upper room praying after Jesus had already ascended. They were in the upper room praying. It says, all these with one accord were devoting themselves to prayer together with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and who? His brothers. They're there praying along with the rest of the disciples because they're disciples too. In 1 Corinthians chapter 9, there's a very interesting little passing reference that Paul gives to Jesus' brothers. 1 Corinthians 9, starting in verse 3, Paul writes to the Corinthians and says, This is my defense to those who would examine me. Do we not have the right to eat and drink? Do we not have the right to take along a believing wife, as do the other apostles and the brothers of the Lord and Cephas? Cephas there is Peter's other name. Notice what Paul's doing there. He's arguing that as, as a traveling missionary, he says, do, do I not have the right to do certain things as a missionary and minister for the Lord? And then he, he makes reference to people that I think Paul is saying are higher up than him, people who are more influential than him in the church, people that everyone knows are righteous and holy leaders, like the other disciples or the other apostles, he says, and Peter and then the brothers of the Lord. They're put on this pedestal because they become leaders. They become leaders in the church. And so Jesus goes from being Jude's brother to being his Lord. Jude goes from being his little brother to being his servant, his slave. In Matthew chapter 16, starting in verse 13, we read this. Now, when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say the Son of Man is? And they said, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, others Jeremiah or one of the prophets. But he said to them, but who do you say that I am? That right there is the most important question you will ever answer in your entire life. And your answer, your answer will decide where you spend eternity. Who do you say that Jesus is? Some said that he was just their brother. Some said, isn't this the carpenter's son? Isn't this the son of Mary? Isn't this the brother of these men we know? Some say he's just another great teacher. One great teacher among many, but that's all he is. Some say he's a myth, a legend. Some say he's one prophet among many, offering one path among many paths to God. Some say 
This is a man promoting a religion of hatred and bigotry. Who do you say that he is? Who do you say that Jesus is in your heart? Conversion happens when we go from seeing Jesus as just another person to having our hearts melted by the grace and mercy of God. That's when true conversion happens. And we believe deep within our hearts that Jesus really is the Son of God. He really is who he said he was. But we've got to take a step beyond that. Salvation means taking a step even beyond that because it is not enough to simply believe that Jesus died on the cross. It is not enough to simply believe that Jesus rose from the dead. There are many people who believe in those facts. No, you must take him as your Lord and you must see yourself as his servant. That's what it takes. That's what salvation is all about. That Jesus died on the cross for my sins, but not just that he died, not just that he rose from the grave, but that he is my Lord and I am his servant. Who do you say that the Son of Man is? Who do you say Jesus is? That's where we'll leave it this morning. Right now, we're going to spend some time in silent, reflective prayer. And we ask that you spend this time responding to God, responding to what he has just laid upon your heart. Be real with him. Open your heart to him. When we come to God like this, don't try to sound more holy than you actually are. Pour your heart out to him. He knows every little bit of it. He knows everything that's inside your mind and in the deepest, darkest corners of your heart. So pour out your heart to him and be honest. But we need to spend some time responding to God because of what he's just laid on our hearts. He speaks and then we speak in return. That's the way the Christian life works. He speaks first and we speak in return. So we're going to spend that time right now in silent, reflective prayer. After a time of of individual prayer, we'll come back and we'll have a time where anyone who needs to respond to God's word publicly can do so. But before that, let's pray.